Godless or God-filled, God's presence makes all the difference. So last week, we saw God begin to initiate his plan by anointing his king. And God sent his prophet Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint one of Jesse's sons. We saw that. David was the youngest. He was the last one anybody thought would be the next king. And God sees differently. God looks on the heart. And his ways are higher. And as we will to see, as we'll see in today's passage, God's presence makes all the difference. The moment God's spirit left Saul, to his surprise, his life changed dramatically. Saul was the man. He was living as if he didn't need anybody, especially God. And he would learn that there was, there was a price to pay. It was costly to choose sin and to reject God. But God was still working on behalf of his people. And he would use his new chosen king. The man after God's own heart would demonstrate that God's king, the spiritual leader of his people, would be a servant, even to the rejected king. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon God's anointed person at key moments to equip them, to empower them, to enable them to do what God had called them to do. And we, we looked at a couple examples last week of this uh, from Saul's life in chapter 10. The Spirit rushed on Saul and he prophesied. In chapter 11, the Spirit rushed on Saul and it caused his anger to be kindled against Israel's enemy. Because Israel's enemy was God's enemy and he raised an army. The point in these illustrations was that God was doing something through these men. The power came from a divine source. So here's David, another leader of God's people that is being equipped and empowered. But in verse 13, if you look back, the verse right before our passage today, it says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David when he was anointed. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. It wasn't just for a time and it wasn't just to empower for a particular task. No, for David, it was permanent. From that day forward, God said, a king for myself. And I want you to note, the Spirit is, the Spirit of God is God. And He knew God was with Him. And by God's Spirit, God works out His purposes for His people and for His glory. So, let's look at Saul, the spiritless rejected king. The Spirit of Lord had had come upon David, and here we see that the Spirit of Lord of the Lord had departed from Saul because he had rejected God and he had rejected God's word. So Saul is tormented by an evil or harmful spirit. We're just going to skip that part, okay? No, we're not. There was some external and obvious effects of this affliction. It was But it wasn't a non-stop kind of thing. Saul would be going along and all of a sudden he would be overwhelmed. That's literally part of the meaning of the word. He would be overwhelmed. In verse 15, the servant says, an evil spirit from God keeps terrorizing you. That's actually how you can interpret that word. It terrorizing you. But it happens sporadically. And the interpretation for this is all over the place from a lot of trusted sources. So some, some would say uh, this was just a mental breakdown. Others said this is an emotional break. And, and honestly, 
later, his later behavior is going to point to those kind of ailments that may have come from this. I can imagine an anxiety attack or a panic attack. I've seen that. But here's where I've arrived. I'm not crazy about it, but here's where I've arrived. I think that what was happening here was a harmful spirit from the Lord was tormenting Saul. Uh, Whatever or however you see that, it was seriously impacting King Saul's ability to function. Now, let's break it down a little bit more than that. The evil here speaks to his condition of misery and distress. But here's, you need to understand this. The Lord doesn't carry out evil. But everything is under his power and control. God is sovereign. Job, who was acquainted with suffering, recognized the hand of God behind the harm that he experienced. He understood that sometimes God allows suffering. He said, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive adversity? But unlike Job, Saul's suffering is a result of his own sin and its consequences, also known as God's righteous judgment. So here's the point. This was a direct result of Saul's sin and a direct result of the absence of the Holy Spirit. What we've seen consistently from Saul is an unwillingness to repent of his sin and return to the Lord. You see, Saul wanted God on his terms. God, I really want you around when I need you. But otherwise, I'm good. I think that was a popular approach back then. And I think that's a popular approach now. But here's the deal. God is not an on-demand kind of God. That's not how you can approach God. He's not on demand. And my question for you today, and let me get right into it, is are you doing a saw and playing that religion? Are you trying to do the God on demand? You know, I'll let you know if I need you, God. Just be on call, and but you really have no interest in following him and growing in him and worshiping and serving him. Either he is your God and king, or you're living as your own master and you're in sin, and you need to humble yourself and repent and come to King Jesus. Put the invitation right there. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, let me explain this. Jesus changed everything. And he said, I will give you the Holy Spirit. He said, when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll have power. We as believers have received the Spirit at the moment of salvation. We don't have to fear that the Lord will remove his Spirit from us because the Spirit is a believer's permanent possession. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, until we take hold of all of it, to the praise of his glory. We have been sealed in him because he is sealed in us. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is gospel transformation. The spiritual process of a believer growing in faith and righteousness, developing an appetite for the things of God, experiencing a growing hunger for holiness, an increasing desire to know God more. And when you know God more, you're going to love God more and you're going to want to worship him more and serve him more. 
But Saul was afflicted. And then we see Saul started taking advice from his servants instead of looking to the Lord and listening to the Lord. In verse 16, let our, the servant said, let our Lord command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. Now, this is a bad habit of Saul's. Instead of going to the Lord, he asked his subordinates for advice. And his servants come up with a suggestion to help him out. Everybody knows that music calms a savage beast, right? Music will cheer you up. So what we'll see here is David becomes the first music therapist. All right? Saul said, provide for me a man who can play for me. And, and there's a couple of ways of seeing this. Instead of dealing with the heart of the problem, they, suggest, they suggested treating the symptoms. Instead of suggesting that he cry out to the Lord and repent and seek restoration from God, they said, music. Now, I think you also see in this that Saul had not been leading them spiritually to look to the Lord. So they didn't think of that. But that's the way of the world, isn't it? Let's soothe the burn of the brokenness and pain. Let's drown it out with drugs or alcohol or sex. Let's just keep ourselves distracted with entertainment and amusement. Listen, there's only one fix for what ails the emptiness and brokenness of sin in our souls. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. Saul wasn't looking for the spiritual answer. He wasn't looking for the cure. He was just looking for immediate relief. And you could definitely say, spiritually speaking, this wasn't the wisest suggestion. However, God works, and He works through in ways we don't understand, and He's always at work. And so in a, another way, we can look at this and see this was an inspired suggestion, because we see God used it. The third thing I want you to see about Saul here is he needed to be provided for. In verse 17, so Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Once again, there's irony in the language here. At the beginning of this chapter, God had said, I have provided for myself a king. And here's Saul saying to his servants, you go and provide for me somebody that can play and help me out. A couple of things here. God's in control and Saul is not. And that's obvious. But also... David is not only God's choice, David is Saul's choice. Another irony in this passage. Speaking of David, let's look at him. In David, we see the spirit-filled chosen king. One of Saul's servants just happened to know a guy. What a coincidence, right? No, God has a plan. In verse 18 we read, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who's skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So let's look at his spirit-enhanced resume, okay? I want you to notice the difference here, though, from the earlier description at his anointing. Last week we looked at it. Remember, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. But the description of David earlier in this chapter, other earlier, I'm getting ahead of myself, earlier in this passage was all physical, almost all physical at his anointing. But here it's different. It's about character and skill. 
Now, of course, music is first because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for somebody that can do the music. And it says he, we're looking for this. This guy is is skillful in playing. David was a skillful musician. Other versions uh, say that uh, they interpret this word lyre harp. But David wasn't lugging a harp through the fields. OK, this a lyre, L-Y-R-E. It's like a early, early, early cousin of a guitar. OK, it's it, it had six or eight strings and it was uh, strung over a, a, a box. An open box, okay? Uh, and, and that's what David played. But the word skillful here is important too. We understand that, don't we? Uh, it would have been a different kind of torment if Saul, if David, you know, if they had brought Saul somebody that couldn't play skillfully. You with me? Have you ever been in a house with a kid that's learning to play an instrument? Maybe you were that kid. Yeah. I can pick on Daniel. He's here today. You know, Daniel learned to play the saxophone. And he was very good at it. But before that, he had decided he wanted to play the trumpet. And the trumpet, he didn't learn to play the trumpet. The trumpet, what that was about was tormenting his sisters. Right? Yeah. He used it to torment his sisters. You know, skillful in playing, that is, that is significant. He's playing for the king. He's got to be capable. And David was an accomplished musician. I think it's appropriate to pause here and say, I'm thankful that God has blessed this church with skillful musicians. Amen. Man, we need to not take that for granted. He has blessed us. And not only do they know how to play and sing and do it well, they also do it for their king every Sunday. Thankful for the band and the praise team. The second thing we see here is a man of valor, a man of war. Obviously, word had gotten out that David had taken out lions and bears and defeated them. Let me ask, any guys in here taking out a lion or a bear? Anybody? Anybody? If you had done it, I wouldn't have to ask. I'd be saying your name already. I'd know about it. And especially if you'd done it without a firearm, man, you'd probably have a book deal. A TV miniseries already, taking out a lion or a bear. It's, that was a big deal. That's a big deal today. That was a big deal then, okay? I, I halfway wonder if most shepherds would have said, uh, yeah, we lost a sheep today. You know, we, we just lost one. Uh, no. He had taken out lions and bears, okay? He had some trophies on his wall. But it says he was a man of valor. Now that's, we would define that as courage and strength, but I decided to look it up in the dictionary anyway and listen to this definition. Valor. Strength of mind or spirit that enables a person to encounter danger with firmness. A sense of steadiness in the battle. Oh, oh yeah. You with me? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's the guys in the movies. Oh yeah. A man of valor. He was a man of war. No, wait a minute. He's still, he's still young. This is interesting here. We haven't been told of any battles that David has been a part of at this point. Okay? We haven't been told. But one author suggested, one commentator suggested that David had possibly encountered a Philistine raiding party. 
See, there were already uh, battles. They, these, the Israelites and the Philistines did not like each other. And the Philistines would come in and raid and, and, and steal sheep and cattle and, and, and just create havoc. Okay? So it's very possible that David had encountered one of these raiding parties and defended himself and been successful. What we can say is this is at least prophetic because we know that David is going to prove to be uh, a man of valor and a man of war. He will. Next, we see that he was prudent in speech. He was good with words and not just the ones on a page that we see in Psalms. He could communicate. He was wise with his words. The idea here is he knew what to say and when to say it. We should all hope to be there one day, right? He was prudent in speech. And then we see he was a man of good presence. He was the kind of guy everybody wanted to be around. There was a winsomeness about him. We know he had that effect on people. We'll see that Saul pretty quickly comes to love David, at least for a season until he has reason not to. Saul's son, Jonathan, would love David. They would be best friends. Saul's daughter would fall in love with him and marry him. That's just in David's family. I mean, in Saul's family. Now, I'm sure some of this was his God-given personality. But I believe much of that was the effect of the Spirit in David's life. Think about that with me for a second. In David's psalm of repentance, he prays for God to restore to him the joy of my salvation. I think the abiding presence of God meant that David was a joyful person. Because there was a lack of fear, I'm sure that that exuded a peace that was very unusual during those dangerous times. And it probably set others at ease who were with him. Because of his spirit-filled heart, he was genuine and authentic, which was probably as refreshing then as it is now. And finally, he had a confidence that wasn't arrogance, but it was grounded in his faith in God. He was a confident man because he was a faith-filled man. He was a spirit-filled man. He was a man of good presence. And then, last but most important, and the Lord is with him. Man, this was evidence. I mean, this was evident even to these guys. It didn't take long for the reality of God's presence in David's life to have such an obvious effect that the guys all the way over in Saul's court had heard about David and had heard this about David, that the Lord was with him. I want you to contrast that to Saul. Those around Saul, they recognized something was happening, that something was beyond him and them, that was beyond their sight and understanding as he was afflicted. And so, but they also understood that something powerful was at play in his life, and they realized it was from God. But that wasn't the way they described David. They did recognize a power, though, that they saw in David that was beyond him as a man. But how was that ascribed to the Lord? It wasn't from God. No, it was David that the Lord was with David. And about 14 years after he was anointed by Samuel, David, at the age of 30, would take his appointed place at king, as king. 
And the accounts of that event uh, share, David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Everyone recognized that David's greatness was owed to the Lord in his presence. David is walking so close to God that God's greatness is seen through him. Let me encourage you believers. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. We've already talked about the reality of the Holy Spirit that we receive at the moment of salvation. If we're in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. That is a reality. But we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. It means to be under the control of the Spirit. Who's calling the shots in your life? Are you living? Is it your flesh which wants to please you? Or the Holy Spirit that wants to serve and please the Lord? And finally, we see the Spirit-enabled ministry. Read with me in verses 19 and following. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse, said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey, laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat, and sent them by David his son to Saul. So he's sending, he's sending his son, but he's sending gifts to the king. And David came to Saul, and he entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. And so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. This music would momentarily salve. It was, it was like a momentary salve for Saul's affliction. And no doubt David's music was a blessing not only Saul, but to those around Saul who had to deal with Saul when he was afflicted. I think it's safe to assume that nobody in Saul's court knew about David's anointing. Even though his brothers were there at the anointing, I'm not even sure they understood the significance of that moment. But the irony here, do you see it? Saul invites the next king of Israel, his eventual replacement, into his court by name. Send me David. And how does our humble king in waiting respond? By obediently serving Saul. Here's the chosen king serving the rejected king. Also, I want you to think about this. David was a passionate worshiper of God. David used his music to praise the Lord. He wrote most of the Psalms, which are the songbook of the, of the Old Testament. And here's a man filled with the Spirit who comes and plays worship music, and it refreshed Saul and brought him some peace from his torment. Now, I'm a musician, and I'm thankful when others are blessed by my music. But with, almost without exception, my music is for my king. It just is. And I'm convinced that Spirit-filled David did everything as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. He was playing for the king, but he was playing for the king. You with me? And when we see here that Saul loved David greatly and he, he promoted him to armor bearer, that, that, that's significant. And I'm not going to 
I'm not really going to dig into it, but I do want to take a moment to say, I think this is a summary passage, and Gerald and I talked about it, and and I think we're on the same page. I think it's probable that David and Goliath happened before he was promoted to armor bearer. This probable. Gerald can fix it or, or flesh it out next week if he wants to. But I think it's probable that that's the reality. And this is kind of a summary, uh, a summary of what was happening between David and Saul. Okay? Because here's the deal. He gets a big promotion. Armor bearer is a big deal. It's like the right-hand man. You remember when Jonathan, Saul's son, took matters into his own hands in chapter 14? And he said, come on, armor bearer. And they took on a whole outpost of Philistines and killed 20 of them. Armor bearer wasn't a guy just standing there holding the armor. He was actively engaged in the battle, and he was a military advisor. This is a significant, significant role uh, change here, okay? But we see that Saul loved David. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, well, it was quite a, quite a transition there. But ultimately, listen, God was looking for a king to represent him. He was looking for a king to represent him to his people. And someone who would lead his people to worship him, to look to him, to trust in him. Saul's only interest in God was what God could help him attain. God wanted a lead worshiper, a spiritual leader for his people. Saul wanted the glory. David knew God and God alone deserved all the glory. And God works in his own way. His ways are higher than our ways. Listen, David was 16 when he was anointed by Samuel. And again, as I said before, he was 30 when he finally took his place as king. And although he served in King Saul's court, as we see here, he spent most of those 14 years tending to sheep or running for his life from Saul. Okay? And sometimes we feel like we're wasting time. Sometimes we feel like what we are doing, our menial jobs, we feel like it's just beneath us. It's a smaller place of service. We can wonder what difference we're making and why God has us where we are. Listen, David wasn't wasting time in the field with the sheep. He was spending time with his shepherd. David wasn't wasting time making music in the king's court because I believe he was playing for his king. David was serving his king by serving King Saul. Time with God, worshiping God, serving God is never wasted. Recognize the reality that every day is a day to grow closer to the Lord and another day to serve Him right where He has you. God is always at work even when we aren't aware. And sometimes it's hard to see in the moment and He rarely gives us a peek into tomorrow. But if you've been walking with God for any time, can't you look back and, and see His hand? Can't you? Can't you see how God's been working to bring you where you are? Amen. Someone said, everything is training for whatever comes next. And by divine arrangement, David finds himself in the royal court. Not only was he the first musical therapist, he was the first royal intern. Okay? Here he is. 
He's being welcomed into Saul's house. He's developing a relationship with the king, and he's learning kingly stuff. That's going to come in handy. You with me? And remember, he never sent his resume. He never applied for this position. But David is the kind of guy under the influence of the Holy Spirit, wherever he is, whatever he's doing, he's all in and he's all there. hundred percent. He's there to serve. Wherever he was, he was there to serve. And those years between David's anointing by Samuel and when he finally took the throne, they were years that God used to prepare David and God used to prepare Israel to follow God's man. So what is God preparing you for? That's rhetorical. Because we don't know, do we? What is God preparing you for? Maybe we will hear the master say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Servant, let me encourage you. Be faithful. Right where God has put you with what God has given you. David wouldn't always obey. He would sin. But when confronted with his sin, he confessed and repented of it. He recognized that his sin was first against God. And that more than anything, he needed God. He knew he was nothing without the Lord. And he cried out in Psalms 51, that psalm of repentance, after his great sin. And he said, cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He had seen what that looked like in Saul, and he knew he needed the Lord. So, let me close with a few thoughts here. Is our life and love demonstrating the presence and power of our Lord? Gerald's already challenged the fathers, but fathers, we're we're called to be spiritual servant leaders. Can our children look at us the way others looked at David and see enough evidence to say the Lord is with him? For all of us as believers, is there enough evidence there? Are we representing the Lord? Can others see the the Lord's goodness and his grace and his power in our lives? Here's the application. Seek to live a spirit-filled life, that is, a life controlled by the Spirit. That comes when you submit to King Jesus. What's that going to look like? Number one, obedience to God. Seeking to live according to His Word. Follow Him. Number two, serving God by serving those around you. Number three is kind of a part of that, but seeking to be faithful where God has you now. It may be with the stinky sheep. That's okay. You're one too. Just recognize that. And he, he may have you serving your enemy. Jesus said, love your enemy. Right? David would say, have you ever had to hide in a cave for your life? You talk about an enemy. But David also said, Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God was taking care of David even then, and you can trust him too. Number four, living a spirit-filled life by recognizing your need for him every day and abiding in his presence. We need him. We need his presence. 
The Lord was with David, with David and believer, the Lord is with you. What a glorious thought. The God of the universe is walking this day with you and with, with me. Again, one more time, what does it look like to live a spirit-filled life? Let me give you another way to look at it. It's an exercise that will be healthy but very convicting. Consider the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and whether that describes you. In that passage, it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That would mean producing the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. David would one day be God's king over the court he was serving in and over all the people of Israel. David, with eyes of faith, would be able to see, though, even past the promise of being king and the glory of the palace. To be able to say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Being with the Lord is what mattered to David. Abiding in him, walking with him, it should matter to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. Lord, we thank you for the example in David, but we recognize that David was just a man like us. But Lord, help us to seek to follow you, to walk so closely with you, Lord, that others see you in us. Lord, not for our glory, but for your glory. That they would see your love and your grace Lord, that they would see your power in us as we react to this fallen world with grace and with love, as we react as the Spirit would lead us. Lord, help us to be faithful right where you have placed us. Lord, help us to serve those that you have placed around us. Lord, thank you for the reality that, Lord, we don't have to find the power and the strength or even the understanding to do what you've called us to. Lord, you've given us yourself and you've given us the power of the Spirit to live the life that you've called us to live. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for the person here who does not know you. And, Lord, I pray that you'd work in his heart or her heart. Lord, that they would see their sinfulness and their need for a Savior. And that they come running to you today. Lord, for believers, may we be encouraged today. Thank you for giving us the Spirit. Thank you for the promise of your presence walking with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.